Okay, uh, with that said, um, welcome. I'm James Thin. I'm the associate pastor here. Um, I love getting to do this with you guys. Uh, pardon me, I'm coming in a little bumpy this week, just from a long week, but I'm still excited to be here with you. Um, if you uh, haven't been tracking with us for the last few weeks, we kind of found ourselves in an accidental sermon series. <laughs> that's that's kind of how I'm terming it, at least. Uh, we've kind of called it the rooted. But but really, uh, as Mark, Mark was away on vacation for a few weeks, and the Lord just began speaking to him uh, a handful of words uh, for this season. And while he was gone, he began speaking to me and a handful of other people on our leadership team some words. And when we all got back together, we were like, oh, this kind of sounds similar. And so we've been kind of paralleling the life of a tree uh, to the life of a person in the kingdom of God. So that's what we've been doing, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just continue us on that path. So we don't have a fancy sermon graphic, because like I said, it's like an accidental series. Uh, but here we are. Um, you guys good with that? Keep talking about trees? All right. going to be a bunch of arborists by the time this is over. I love it. Um, well, great. So, I mean, I thought, what more fitting way to have a good time with your church community uh, than to talk about suffering. Get excited. Get excited. A few woohoos. A few people from last week are like, I thought we did that. I'm so tired of that. Um, last week, we talked about seasons. Mark, Mark preached on kind of the seasons of life, kind of the ebb and flow of life with Jesus and how we need to learn uh, how to uh, acknowledge and foster those seasons so that the, the fullness of God can be worked out within us. Um, and today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of double down on that a little bit as I talk about suffering. Um, but I just want to draw this kind of distinction between seasons and suffering. See, seasons are, are, are a natural rhythm of life, of growth, of planting, of dormancy, of harvest. That, that, should, that should continue through your life, uh, th- for the rest of your life with God. Um, suffering, though, can literally land on any of those seasons. And suffering is more the moments where, where, where these moments of these times of pain uh, come crashing into the seasons that we're in. Instead of the ebb and flow, instead of the harvest and dormancy, uh, uh, we're looking at moments that become the catalyst for either new life or sadly often I would say new death, new brokenness, new pains, new, new barriers to us and either the person of God or us and the kingdom that he's trying to bring forth within us. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, these, these significant moments, these, these moments where we find ourselves stuck kind of at a crossroad. It's often uh, rooted in some pain point. Um, and I think we've all been there. I think everyone, the second I say suffering, you're like, uh-huh, cool, cool. Let me go see if there's more coffee outside. Um, and that's okay. We'll get through it together. For me, I just thought I'd share uh, a little bit of my own life. I'm actually a super blessed human. Uh, I, I've got a incredible family. (laughs) Um, It's fun. I'm super blessed, uh, but my life has not been without suffering, uh, just like you guys. Um, As as much as God has provided and as much as God has met me um, in so many places, there's been moments of pain. I come from a super broken family that God is constantly redeeming. Uh, I lost my dad to like a drug, drug overdose just that was fun, not fun, um, and uh, just was going to share a, a moment of that with you guys with a different story. Happened about seven years ago. I'm going to slow down so I can do it because I'm going really fast. Yeah, so seven years ago, um, my wife and I, we were the parents of, of two boys, two awesome boys, Daniel and Nemo, they're here, um, and uh, 
we had the pleasure of like when we decided to become kids, or what? To become parents, uh, to have kids. <laughs> Come like a child, Millie was just preaching. Anyway, um, when we decided to become parents, uh, God really spoke clearly. Like he, he spoke into uh, our lives and we got to adopt for, for, uh, to become parents. So our first son is adopted and that's, that's like the greatest joy to be able to literally handpick your child. I don't know <laughs> if you know how good that is, but we got to like literally choose our child because he just destroyed our hearts and we wanted nothing more than to be his parents. Uh, and that was beautiful. And then, and then we're like, man, let's, let's, keep this going. I feel like we're, we want to continue to raise up children. And so we're like, let's, let's have a kid. We, we had been avoiding that for a handful of years in our life. And we finally said, okay, let's, let's have a kid. And, and, and like, literally we know when that happened, because the first time we allowed that to happen in our relationship, we were pregnant. It was, mirac- it was, it was cool. And then it was like, oh, there it is. I guess that's how you have a baby. They just show up like that. And so obviously nine months in labor and my wife would probably hit me for saying it was that easy. But um, it was cool. We just, family just formed for us. And a few years went by and we felt like just this, this longing to keep having kids. We wanted another, another kid. Uh, it's a, it was a desire of my heart to, to get to be the father of a girl. Like I just, I just love the idea of, of women understanding their value, understanding how to be loved by a man just, can, just rightly. And so I, I longed for that. So we're like, oh, let's, let's get pregnant again. Let's have another baby. And, and arrogantly, if I'm going to be honest, we set out on that path. And we tried to get pregnant, and we couldn't get pregnant. And we tried to get pregnant, and we couldn't get pregnant, and we tried to get pregnant, and we couldn't get pregnant. Um, and it was frustrating. We'd, like, kind of get pregnant. Like, we'd get pregnant, and weeks later, it's like, nope, that, that didn't land. And we'd try again, and, and we, uh, we were just really disappointed. I was frustrated. I feel like God was working on some things in me, some arrogance in me in that. But finally... Finally, we, like, get pregnant, and, like, the weeks go by, and we're like, oh, this thing is sticking, and the months go by, and we're like, this is so exciting. Um, and um, we, get, we get to about the five-month mark in this pregnancy, and I'm driving on my way to work, and I get a phone call. <laughs> it's these moments. <laughs> I get a phone call from my wife, and she says, I'm at the doctor's. She was there for a checkup, and uh, they're being weird. Something's wrong. They're not telling me. And so I practically make a U-turn on the freeway, uh, which I don't advise, and come flying over to the doctor's office, and I just go in and sit, and she's still, she doesn't know. Um, It's clear from her voice and from the look on her face that she's terrified, I'm supposed to know how to, like, lead her through that. <laughs> and um, I remember both of us just looking at each other, not knowing what to do. And with, like, tear-filled eyes and broken voices like mine is right now, we start just singing, you're a good, good father. Not just because it was, like, trending on the radio at the moment on Top Ten Christian, but because um, it was all we could figure out how to do. It was the only thing that we knew to grasp at was to proclaim this thing that, like, our situation didn't necessarily um, point to. Like, in our flesh, we didn't see it, but we knew we needed to, like, grasp hold of it. And so we worship, and we're just singing that, and, and the, the ultrasound technician finally comes in, and 
starts scanning uh, her stomach, and uh, there's this, the body of a child in there that uh, no longer has life. <laughs> 17 weeks in, I mean, that's like, that's, there's a lot of thoughts on pregnancy, but uh, a life that was very active and moving and interacting with mom and us and our hearts just wasn't anymore. And I just remember us kind of walking away from that really shooken, really like questioning, like, God, what? Why? Why would you do this? How can you allow these kind of things to happen? Like we prayed with everything in us in that moment. And on the other side of that, the miracle didn't happen. And I don't just share that because uh, I'm an emo- overly emotional person, which I am sometimes, and I'm sorry that I cry every time I preach. But um, I share that because those moments are significant. Those moments are places of intersectionality for us with God. Those moments are places where, where if allowed, God enters in and does something profound. They have incredible potential. And I think, I think we've probably all like had those. I know we've all had those moments. Those moments where, where uh, you're sitting there maybe in the midst of it and, and you're questioning the goodness of God. You're sitting there trying to shift through the ashes to figure out, is there anything left? Like, how do I move on from this? And I think, I think those moments really do become these, these, these transformative places, or at least they can be. They can be the most transformative places in our lives if we choose not to throw them away. And I don't say that flippantly. Like, I don't say that because I'm just better now. Clearly, like, that still carries something in my heart. But I think suffering, if we really, really take a hard look at suffering, I think suffering is, is like this wildfire, right? It can sweep through our lives. But as it sweeps through our lives, it's a place where God, when we allow him to, can both refine and reveal the kingdom of God in us and around us. I'll say that again. Wildfire of suffering is a place where God, when allowed, can refine and reveal the kingdom of God in and around you. We often get really trapped in the like, why does God allow suffering question, which is valid. I just can't answer it. But it's a valid one, and I'm not going to pretend to give you a a cookie-cut answer for that as you leave here. But more importantly uh, than that is can we actually embrace the potential that lies within And so what I want to do to maybe just pull on that thread a little is let's open our Bibles up. Romans 8. The book of Romans is, is whew, one of the like most deeply theologically complex but beautiful books, I think, that you'll find in all of Scripture. Uh, and, and we're going to jump into a chunk of it today. And even in the chunk that we dive into today, I am not going to fully uh, attempt to like exegete this Scripture. I'm not going to try to like fully explain everything that we're going to read right now because Paul 
was brilliant. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit, and the things that he wrote, I still scratch my head around. But what I want to pull on is this thread of suffering, because the writer of the book of Romans, this, this man Paul, uh, probably more than any character in, in this scriptures that we have, aside from Jesus, suffered more than like anybody that we'll get to read from. This guy was, was blind for three days. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was in, like, shipwrecked multiple times. Beaten multiple times, imprisoned multiple times. A thorn that was like in his side, whether physically or, or, or spiritually, that he begged for God to remove and it never came. This is a guy who like was, was just intimately acquainted with suffering. And he's writing to a church that's being persecuted by the Roman Empire. So like there, it's just like, it is the loudest thread passing through this book. So I, I, I want to just give us that, be thinking about that as we, as we hear from the writings of this man, empowered by Holy Spirit, what he knows, what he's experienced, and what he's learned from it. So we'll start in verse 18. And it says this, as soon as I find it. You guys are all there waiting for me. There we go. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. Got it? It's good, but man, there's so much in there. there's Paul, Paul's crazy. I love it. That is so good. That is so dense. And I'm not going to unpack all of it. Like I said, I'm going to pull on just the threads of suffering in this passage. And right off the bat, when I begin to pull on that thread, the first thing that, that I see Paul saying in verse 18 is this. I consider the sufferings of this present time ellipses. And I want to start there because we do some funny things with suffering in our culture. Right? We either, we either like graft onto it like it's our everything and we never move forward from it, but becomes who we are, the person who suffered, and, 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 and nothing else comes from that. But I think what Paul's saying here is, is your suffering, your suffering is valid. Don't waste it. And that's kind of where he's going with the rest of this passage. Your suffering is valid. Don't waste it. 
And I just, I kind of have to confess a little bit. I've led young adults, kind of post-college adults for a long time. And um, I've been guilty of like minimizing people's suffering because I'm in like a different life stage. And I look back and I'm like, what are you doing, man? Come on, let's go. But when I was in that life stage, it destroyed me. And so I think Paul just is saying, hey, your suffering's valid. The way that we, we validate our suffering in a healthy way is one, to just name it, to just be able to go, this is suffering. I'm suffering, and it's okay. I have permission to do that. But as we're, we're naming it, we actually kind of have to understand it to be able to name it. Follow me for a second. Paul, uh, he suffered in a handful of ways, right? I mentioned blind, prison, shipwreck, beatings, all the fun things. When, when we take the time to begin to understand where our suffering comes from, we kind of know what to do with it. So suffering, it'll come from one of two places. Again, this isn't the why of suffering. This is just where is, it, where is suffering hitting me from? Suffering will either and or hit me <laughs> from something external, out of my control, or something internal, in my control. And sometimes it's a mix of both. So, so Paul uh, uh, was on the road to go kill some more uh, uh, Jesus-professing Christians one day. Uh, and, and Jesus lands on the road in front of him and reveals himself to him. What are you doing? This is the same Paul. I don't know if you know this about Paul. This is who he was, a murdering, Christian-killing man. And for Jesus to be able to enter in to Paul's reality, he had to make Paul blind for him to be able to see him clearly. He was blind for three days, right? I don't know about you. I don't want to be blind for three minutes. But if I was blind for three days, like that is suffering. And that was suffering caused by something within Paul's control. Like Paul's lifestyle led to this intersection with Jesus where Jesus had no other way to break through the brokenness but to take his sight away. It's interesting. And it ends up being really good. But, but, but that was something in Paul's control because of his brokenness. And then there's other times where Paul is like in prison. And part of that is still absolutely his fault. Right? Because there's a boldness that Paul's walking with. That he's like, I know what the consequences are and I'm willing to suffer. I'm going to be bold for the sake of Jesus. And suffer because of it. So that's the, that's the things in our control. But, but it's never that clean. It's always kind of a mix of that and then the things outside of our control, like uh, earthquakes and, and natural disasters and, man, the stock market crashed or whatever the thing is that, like, I can't steer that. But it happens. And this is what in, what is it, verse, sorry, I want to say 19. These are kind of the external out of our control. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. Like just this idea that like creation's out of order because of what happened with us in the garden, because of us vying for power and vying for control. Creation is out of order and it will continue to cause suffering on your life and you can't control it. That's the place we're, we're, we're uh, uh, sitting in right now, in time and space, is a place that is partially broken and full of the, of the, of the kingdom of God both at the same time. It's crazy. And the brokenness of people around us. So that's the other external. It's like there's just going to be people around you that you can't control. 
And things are going to happen to you because of the brokenness present in them that you can't control. So even if your boldness is landing you in prison, their brokenness is also landing you in prison. Do you know what I'm saying here? So Paul walked all of these lines. He has the authority to speak on this. And I think he's making this case right away. We got to understand it because if we can understand it, if we can name it and validate it, then we know where we can begin submitting it. God over here this causation is because of this brokenness in the world or this brokenness in this person and my brokenness interacted with it. So I need you here, Jesus, and I need you here, Jesus. What we tend to do is either there's no suffering, just keep swimming, just keep like Dory, right? I won't call out the Enneagram nines in the room, but like it's fine, this is fine, everything's fine, you're fine, I'm fine, we're fine. Um, <laughs> my wife is laughing and I won't tell you why. Um, or we begin to like blame shift and go, oh, it's, you know, it's the brokenness in that person that did this to me and, 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 and there's nothing for me to grow in because they just need to get their life together. It's kind of more of a both hand most of the time, but we got to be able to like get in it and find it to be able to submit it to God and go, okay, give me your potential here, Jesus. Give me the thing that can transform me here, Jesus. That's kind of the preface. <laughs> because the potential is what we're after in suffering. Like, we're not finding places to suffer. Don't be weird. We're not going to go martyr ourselves just for the sake of, like, I just need to suffer because suffering's good. No, but within suffering lies this potential. And it's got the potential for two things. The first of which is to refine us. Suffering has the potential to refine you. James 1, verses 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kind, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing don't waste it. The trial, the suffering that you're in should produce joy, but that's only going to happen if you tap into the potential that is contained within. In 1 Peter 1, 6, and 7, this one, it's going to make me laugh a little bit. It says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, we get really excited about the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ part, and we skip over that little conversation about gold and refining. And, and what makes me laugh about this is um, 20 into 2019. I remember sitting in, I think it's called the Grand Hall where we used to meet, just down the hall over there, and the lights were low, and the big worship band was on stage, and everyone's hands are in the air, and we're singing at the top of our lungs. I want to be tried by fire, right? Sing it purified. You know the song? People are like, I don't want to sing that. We wanted it then, and then you know what happened? Some fire came. A wildfire slept, swept through our culture. And we were like, oh, fire. But, but that's like the best parallel for what suffering actually is. It's like a wildfire. 
And I say that because wildfires, they're like, we're Californians. And if you don't know this, we have an incredibly broken view of wildfires. And I'm going to tell you why. Right? We have them all the time. If you have relatives who live out of state, every fire that starts, you get the phone call that's like, are you guys okay? What's going on? And you're like, that's 700 miles. No, the whole state's on fire. You okay? But wildfires are really useful. They refine us in, two, in, in, in a few ways. Uh, yeah, in two ways. I was right. The first thing wildfires do, this all comes from CAL FIRE. It's like our, our California Fire National Forestry kind of deal. CAL FIRE, what? Wildfires, thank you. <laughs> uh, they, they clean the forest floor. They clear it. Wildfires come in when, when done rightly. Wildfires come in and they begin to burn up all of the undergrowth. They begin to consume all of the dead leaves that have fallen and the trees. They clear out the forest floor. They make space. They get rid of the clutter. It's easy to draw the parallels if, if you're paying attention, right? It says, forests today have more trees in the past. This is interesting because of the way we interact with fires. We actually have more trees in our forest today than in the past. But they're not as large or as healthy. Why do you think that is? I'm not going to answer the question yet. So they clear the floor. They make room for growth. They make room for new nutrients to go into the soil because if it's all covered up, can't no oxygen get down in there and like bring more nutrient into the soil. The second thing they do, they kill disease. Do you know that? So we, I'm like, I love the outdoors. I'm a weird Californian average outdoorsman, which sometimes it's not compatible. But um, I spend a lot of time going out to the forest. I love it. We have something in California called the bark beetle. It's a nasty little fella. You know what? It has existed in California for so, 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 so many years. But currently, it is devastating our forests. It's like literally wiping out swaths of forests around California. I have a picture. Somebody said it looked like flowers. Can you throw that up for me, Jason? Got that, man? This is actually an aerial view of trees. That's not lavender, so don't get excited, y'all. Um, <laughs> all of that purple, all of that orange are uh, trees that have a bark beetle infestation. They're dead. Functionally dead trees. They're still taking up a lot of space. They're still trying to pull nutrients from the ground, but they are dead. And when a wildfire comes through, in, in the healthiest expression, it comes through and it actually kills off those infestations. Normally, they don't take over entire forests when fires are let are allowed to come in. But instead, it kills off the, the, the bark beetle. The bark beetle actually, that, the fire process that the bark beetle goes through is one of the most nutrient-rich processes that happens in the forest floor. So those bugs, literally, the depth of that disease becomes the growth of the trees. That was cool that that rhymed. Um, it was an accident. Um, and then the tree is able to, like, produce sap to, to, to heal kind of the wounds that the, the bark beetle left behind and the tree becomes more resilient. And next thing you know, you have these huge, massive, strong, resilient trees in the forest. So that's the refining part. I'm going to draw this together. It does one more thing. And I'd say that it reveals. Wildfires reveal things in the forest through generation where generation's fun, it kind of has two meanings. It's like the, the growth of something or the, net, the, the, the following growth of something, right? You have generations, like familial, 
And then, you know, you've got like the paycheck that you're generating every week and then hopefully get at the end of a week or a month or whatever that looks like. So wildfires sweep through these forests. And most of these, like if, if you're looking at like a, a pine tree or something like that, a lot of these forests have, these trees, excuse me, have pine cones. You've seen them. They're funny looking, I think. People collect them. I don't get it. Um, so when a fire sweeps through a forest, these pine cones contain like the essence of life for the, the generations behind it. But the only way that it's the seed of the tree, and the only way that that seed can germinate is if fire comes through. Like literally without a fire, you put that seed in the ground, it will do nothing for its whole life. But if it gets heated to a certain temperature because of a fire, then suddenly the, the, the ability for new life springs forth, and, and you've got this tiny tree that starts to sprout up. Super cool. I didn't design it. Um, really, really, really neat, though. And so, so what we find, though, is, is that change is really important. Uh, basically, they've discovered that, like, every kind of three to ten years, a forest should experience a fire for there to be healthy growth. But in California, we've done something different. And in, like, most of the Pacific Northwest and all the way up to basically Colorado, we've managed, managed our forests differently. Because in like the 70s, I think it was, this sweet little bear got burned. Anybody know the story of Smokey the Bear? He's on all the pictures on the roadside when you drive up the mountains. Only you can prevent forest fires. See, this bear got injured. It experienced pain. And a complete ad campaign came out behind this bear to say, man, we can't let people experience pain and destruction. We have to mitigate forest fires. And so the smallest spark, the tiniest flame, quickly we rush to to extinguish and go, no, 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 which has led us now to this forest, forest management uh, uh, model where uh, we, instead of growing forest, have grown tinder. Like every forest in this area right now, if it experiences a fire, it will be wiped out for generations. And there's kind of no way to go back from that. It's interesting. We're trying. We're going to figure it out. But I, I would submit to us here that like that's, the cultural moment we all just experienced in a lot of ways with our, 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 our pain management processes, with the way that we try to, try to minimize pain in our own lives, in the way that uh, with our children we try to protect them from any pain at all, with the fact that the generates, so I'm going to say this really quick, uh, when it comes to like the, the planting, excuse me, the the fire landing on pine cones. I don't know about you guys, but I experienced a young generation whoo, walk away from the church over the last two, three years. And I've been really guilty of like blaming them for a lack of resiliency. And there's a truth in that. Like there's literally like, guys, come on, you got to show up to your own life. There's guys, come on, like Jesus died for you. You get to respond to that. That is true. But you know what else is true? are a bunch of really tall trees that didn't, suscept their, that didn't uh, surrender their own lives to wildfire so that when the planting of new trees came, they had no resilient trees of righteousness around them to look to to go, how do I suffer? Without fire, these trees and these plants, they eventually succumb to old age get consumed by fire, no new generations spring up. That 
is why us understanding the potential of suffering is so important so we don't just continue to medicate ourselves around it, to distract ourselves around it, to create new realities where because there's no forest standing around us, we say, maybe I was never a tree after all. Because these fires can, I said, reveal. They don't just refine. They reveal the kingdom of God in us. Verse 19 says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. When we give that potential and suffering over to Jesus, it conforms us to the image of God. It takes us to new places with Jesus that we haven't gotten to go before. And I would say this, it models incarnation. Like, think of the most painful picture of suffering that we see in Scripture. Jesus on a cross. I hope that's what you think of. I've spent so much of my life thinking of Jesus on the cross as simply Jesus died for my sins so that I can get new life. Don't throw that away. That's true and real and accurate. But somewhere in there, there's this undertone where we go, Jesus died on the cross so I wouldn't have to. How, do you, how can we be formed into the image of God without suffering? When the most prolific image of God that we have is suffering. I would submit to us that like instead of the idea that he died on the cross so I wouldn't have to, I think he's modeling incarnation and he's basically showing us I died on the cross so you would know how to. When you grasp hold of that reality, you can finally declare and sing songs like there's no place I'd rather be than in the fire with you, than on the cross with you, than in suffering with you, because that's one of the places that you went to for my sake. But we can also throw it away, and we can waste it. But what I love, I love just the, the, the persistence of God, the resilience of God, just this, this never giving up, never stopping always wanting to enter into that suffering, whether you let him do it when it happened or you're going to let him do it now even though it happened a long time ago or whatever that looks like. I love that his promise is to be there with us in it. Verse 26, backing up a little bit, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I think there's an opportunity for us this morning to, to further learn that reality of a Holy Spirit, of a living God who, who, whether your hands are open or completely closed, is literally standing over you and has been standing over you your entire life, 
praying the prayers that you don't know how to pray, declaring the truths that you don't even know how to, how to see or understand yet. But that takes surrender. I think that's the thing that, that like, in, in Paul's story that fueled him uh, when he was, was uh, Acts 16, when he was in prison, I don't remember where, sorry, uh, with Silas, and, and, and they just begin worshiping. Not because of their situation, because it's the only thing they knew how to do. Spirit-empowered worship, that spirit-empowered prayer, really, that spirit-empowered crying out to God. I don't know that the words were, God, you're a good father. They might have been like, why have you forsaken us? But they're crying out to the living God that they know can take hold of their suffering. And I think that's the invitation to us. I think there's an invitation that God wants to both refine you as a son or daughter of the living God or reveal more of himself to you and in you so that you wouldn't sidestep those places with him anymore, so you would under, that you would d- discover like new rooms in the kingdom of God where you can be with him. And like, he's going to do that. Let me just, this gets really hard because it's not on us completely. Like God is, you are already adopted. You are already his. You are already redeemed. In verse 30, it says, those who he predestined, he also called, and those who he called, he also justified, and those who he justified, he also glorified. But our God is so good that he did that for the sake of eternity, and now he's like, I want to get you that, as much of that as you can have right now. Like, I don't want you to spend your life missing out on my reality, so let me get as much in you as I can, and then I'll just complete it when you get here. He's that good. And we can't lose in it. Like, we can't, By that surrender alone, we don't lose out on God. We get him. He uses it to to expand the capacity of our hearts. He uses it uh, to teach us how to be empathetic, to enter into people's stories. Not because we're the answer, but when we do that, we image the living God with him. I'm way out of time. It's fun. told you it's a long passage. Uh, I'm just going to stop here. Because I want Holy Spirit to do what Holy Spirit is going to do. Not could do, not might do, but will do. So the invitation is one of two things. Maybe both. I don't know where you're at today. I know statistically just a room this size, there's people in suffering right now. That's just the reality of the broken world we live in, like I mentioned earlier. So the invitation is is to just take that. Bring it to Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you, would you show me how to begin surrendering to you? I don't even want to say, would you show me how to surrender to you? Because this is such a process. But Holy Spirit, show me how to begin letting you into my suffering. Show me how to, how to stop micromanaging my pain and submitting that to you. Right here and right now. And if that's not you, that's okay. I don't need you to like fake suffering for the sake of this message. Um, But what I would say is hopefully Holy Spirit started pointing you back to just moments in life, moments where you can't look on the other side of it and know what God did. And if that's you, I think he has something for you there because I think he had a potential. It's like uh, potential energy. He wanted to bring it to become kinetic energy. I think that's how that works. He had a potential in there that he had for you that you missed out on, 
I don't know if God wants to like bring that out of you still. I mean, I know he does from a character standpoint, but like right now, I don't know. But what I would say is our God loves to work with our submitted hearts. He loves to work in, in our postures of repentance. He loves when we come to him, we go, hey, this is how I did it before. I want to walk a new road with you. That's all repentance is. It's really simple. Sounds like a really scary word. I promise you, Jesus is really good in it. So that's the invitation today is, is one, man, if, if you're in that pain, if you're in that place of suffering, if you're in that place of like, I don't know if I know how to hope right now, let's make space for you to like find Jesus in that. Let's do it together as like a forest of people. Let's pray with one another. Let's walk with one another and not do that in isolation. And secondly, if, if, if there's been places where you just, you just missed it and God still loves you and that's okay, that's a great place to learn with Jesus and go, man, come in and show me maybe some of the areas in life that I, that I was derailed, that I, that I tried to control the process instead of letting the effect that you wanted come out of me. You guys good with that? Cool. Gil, I'm going to invite you up, man. We're going to respond to that, and, and that could be a personal response. That could be um, kind of heading over with our, our leaders who will be available to pray, uh, to work that out, and to just even invite them to pray over you, kind of groanings too deep to understand. There's something healing in that, but we don't want to, we don't want to throw this stuff away anymore. We don't want to go through another 2020 and come out the other side, you know, like, ha, ah, <laughs> I don't know. We want to be oaks of righteousness. Isaiah 61, we want to be raised up as that. So we're going to call on Holy Spirit to do that right now. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you that, that uh, this isn't always linear with you, but it can be done with you, no matter how messy it looks. So we just call on the power of Holy Spirit this morning. We say, um, give us boldness, give us courage. Give us conviction, Lord. Help us in our pain. Help us to surrender to you the places that, man, our hope was just deferred. Help us to bring those to you so that you can have your way in us, Lord. Raise us up, Jesus. Raise us up, Lord. Reveal us as sons and daughters. We respond to you now, Lord.